Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's good to be back in Lobelville, and I think this is the biggest congregation I've seen since I've been coming here. So it's good to see all of you here today. And before we get into our message for this morning, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your blessings to each one of us. And Lord, we know that we are living in serious and momentous times of Earth's history. Pray that if we've had a tendency to be playing games with you and to be playing church, that we would wake up and that we would come to see you for who you are, the Holy One of Israel. So be with me today as I speak. May the words be according to your will, and may it awaken in each one of our hearts and our minds the need to be right with you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. And this, the title for our message this morning is The Holy One of Israel. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Listen, we serve a holy God the Holy One of Israel, who inhabits eternity. And we need to remember that God is holy. He's not just the little daddy upstairs like some people try to make him out to be. God is holy. He is the Holy One of Israel. He inhabits eternity. And he dwells in a high and holy place with those who are of a contrite and humble spirit so that he can bring a revival to those are, who are humble and those who are contrite. There is a need for a revival of humility and of godliness and of, a, and of an acknowledgement that the God of heaven is the Holy One of Israel. And if we would see the God of heaven for who he really is as the Holy One of Israel, many if not all of these foolish things that have been coming into God's church would go away. Because God is the Holy One of Israel. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. You know, the General Conference has this um, Bible reading program going on right now called Revived by His Word. And right now we are in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And one of the things about the book of Isaiah, throughout this book, at least 25 times if not more as I've counted, that the title for God in the book of Isaiah is the Holy One of Israel. And Isaiah is known as the gospel prophet. There are messianic prophecies talking about the first advent of Christ. There are also prophecies describing the second advent of Christ and of the new heaven and the new earth and of worshiping in heaven. And so throughout this book of Isaiah, there is a description of God's people from the time of Isaiah all the way to the restoration of all things. And throughout all of that, God is described as the Holy One of Israel. And in the very beginning of the book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 1, verse 2, the prophet speaks to us and says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and have brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now this is especially speaking of the nation of Israel at that time, but couldn't God say the same thing today? 
I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Oh, yes, I love God. I'll have a relationship with him, but please don't talk to me about obedience. Obedience is legalism. Don't tell me about a remnant at the end of time that keep the commandments of God. I don't want to hear about that. I just want to have a relationship with Jesus, and we'll figure it all out when we get upstairs. No. God says, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner. And the ass is master's crib, but Israel doth not know. The animal knows who his master is, yet God is saying, my people, they don't know who their master is. I am their God. I have nourished them. I have brought them up. And they act as if they don't know who their master is. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. And here is the first mention of the Holy One of Israel in the book of Isaiah. And the Holy One of Israel is saying, they are a, children, a nation laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. And notice this, it says, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. Do you know that God can get angry? And you know, so much focus is placed on the love and the tender mercies of God, which are all true. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is loving. But he is a God who can be provoked to anger by the rebellious ways of his people. And we think that we can just float along through life, rebelling against God, ignoring his commandments, ignoring his prophets, thinking that all will be well, that God will just love us and be merciful to us and cover us with his grace. And when we get to the kingdom, he'll clean us up. And God is saying, no, no, no. If you are rebelling against me, that is provoking me to anger. God is the Holy One of Israel. And we as his people living at this time of earth's history, listen, we are Seventh-day Adventists living on the edge of eternity. If anyone should know that God is the Holy One of Israel, we should be proclaiming that loudly and clearly to the world around us. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. In other words, we've backslidden. Why should you be stricken anymore? Well, ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In other words, everything about you is sick. And you think that you can just go on living your life thinking that God will cover you. And the reality is God is here to point out that you are a nation that is sick, that is in need of a change of ways. Now, if you continue on in verse 9, notice. It says, except the Lord of hosts 
have left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. And so now the prophet Isaiah, speaking to the nation of Israel, he's saying if there was not a remnant of people today who were faithful to the word of God, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And at the end of time, God describes a church, a people, the remnant of his seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And isn't it amazing today that even in God's last day end time church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, people attack commandment keeping as legalism and as the spirit of prophecy as being out of date. And yet that are, those are the very identifying characteristics that show that God has a remnant on this earth today. And the devil knows that, and so he's going after those very two things. Now listen, you know, Jesus says in Psalms chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy laws within my heart. Jesus delighted to keep the law. Did that make him a legalist? So why, if by the grace of God we are delighting to keep the law of God, would that make us a legalist? Don't be fooled by the arguments of the dragon. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. It's the faithfulness of the remnant, those who through the faith of Jesus Christ keep his commandments and who take heed to the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. That is what keeps the nation of Israel in that time and in ours from becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who will follow God completely. Those who will be the remnant. Otherwise, we should have been a Sodom. We would have been like unto Gomorrah. Now, notice what Isaiah does here. And this just blows my mind. Notice what the prophet says to the leaders of the nation of Israel of that day. He says, hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of who? Sodom. Sodom. He's speaking to the leaders of Israel. Now, if you don't believe me, we're going to go to, through the next verses where he talks about their sacrifices of the lambs and the bullocks, which is what the nation of Israel was doing. And he is saying, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. I mean, what greater insult could the prophet of the Lord give to God's people at that time than to call the leaders of their nation the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah? Now, lest you think that Sodom and Gomorrah was simply, um, and you know where we get the term sodomy from, you know, it, unless you think all of Sodom and Gomorrah was about gay rights and homosexual this and that and whatever, Ezekiel 16.49 makes it very clear that the sin of Sodom was pride, abundance of idleness, and fullness of bread. And when you look at the nation of Israel, and you can look at God's people today, there is plenty of pride to go around. There is plenty of abundance of idleness. There is plenty of fullness of bread. People in God's church today, we have a message to take to the world. And yet we're sitting around all week long stuck on our TV shows, hoping that our teams make the Final Four and win the championship or the Super Bowl or whatever else it may be, and we're stuck on these issues of idleness, wasting our time, and the Holy One of Israel wants his people to rise up and go give a message to the world. Amen. 
and yet we're partaking in the very things of the world so that there's hardly any difference between us and the world. And so the, the prophet of the Lord says to the nation of Israel in that time, hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To, verse 11, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? And that, at this point, it becomes very clear. He's not speaking to literal Sodom and literal Gomorrah. He's speaking to those who profess to be serving him. And he's saying, what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? In other words, you're coming to church, and you're going through the motions, and you'll come to Sabbath school, and you'll come to church, and you'll listen to the sermon, and you might say a prayer. But what purpose is that when you're living like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Holy One of Israel has a word for his people today. And he continues, saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. These were the very offerings that God commanded them to offer, and yet he's saying, I'm tired of these offerings. They're not doing anything for me. You're out there living like Sodom and Gomorrah, and then you think you can come and play church? God's not interested in that kind of lip service. Now listen, I realize I'm saying it straight here, but you know what? We are living at the end of time. Amen. It's time to be ready to meet Jesus. Yes. And when you look at what's happening in the world around us, just within the last couple of months, the things that are happening with evangelicals and the charismatic leaders and the Pope and all these things that we have long foretold as would happen from the book of Revelation. And a lot of Adventists, I mean, I even saw an Adventist pastor on Facebook yesterday say, oh, every president's met with the Pope since 1959. Here come the sensationalists again. Come on now. Are we really going to be the people of prophecy who point out what the scripture teaches or are we going to be ashamed for the message that God has given us to bring to the world? Continuing on, he says in verse 12, when you come to appear before me who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. God is saying, when you have your convocations, I cannot do with these. These are sinful because you're living like Sodom and Gomorrah. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Such was the condition of the nation of Israel at that time. And it's not a stretch to say that God's people are in similar dire straits today. When Adventist young people are more excited about their team making the playoffs in the Super Bowl than they are about going out to witness for the Lord, something's wrong with our church. When we can get more people to come out to a pizza party to watch the Super Bowl than we can to come out to an evangelistic meeting to win souls for the kingdom, something's happened with our church. 
We've lost our calling. We've lost our sense of mission. Listen, we're not here to cheer on teams to win the Super Bowl. That's not what we're here for. We're here to see the end of all things, to get Jesus to come back so that we can go inhabit eternity where we're not going to see a Super Bowl between the 144,000 and the antediluvians. Verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. So the Lord is saying after he, through, he as he speaks through his prophet and he gives a straight message and he says, listen ye rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm tired of your worship services where you're playing lip service to me and you're out there living like Sodom and Gomorrah and yet you're really not following me. Then God comes along and he says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge of the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then verse 18, which many times we've heard from scripture, but we haven't heard the 17 verses leading up to it. Verse 18, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And what an amazing God that here he's speaking to his people and he is saying, you are a sinful nation. You don't know who your master is. You are a seed of evildoers. Your children are corruptors. You have forsaken the Lord. You have provoked me to anger. Your whole body is sick. You have become like Sodom and Gomorrah, and I am sick of your worship services. Yet, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And you know, so many times now we sort of downplay sin, like, oh yeah, I have some sins in my life. Yeah, everyone's sinful. We all have sin. Yeah, that's just the way it is. God is saying, I just pointed out what your sins were. You are like Sodom and Gomorrah. But though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But the condition is God says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Now, how are we reasoning together? This is what God is saying. Let's reason together. Let's talk about this. As we reason together and we just reason from cause to effect, let's look at where we are now as a people. We've become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you happy with that? Are you going to accept that and say, I am so sorry, Lord, that I have wandered so far from you that I, with my lips, I profess to follow you, but in my heart, I'm far from you. I'm like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, if we're going to be saved in the kingdom, we have to acknowledge the reality of our sinfulness and where we are right now. Because if we hear the message and the Lord speaks to us through his prophet and he says to us, you have become like Sodom and Gomorrah and you say, get out of here, you straight talking preacher. I don't want to hear that. I like my life. I like the mercy of God and he's just going to cover me and I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do. Then we're not reasoning together with God. 
God is saying, come now, let us reason together. The Holy One of Israel wants to have a talk with us. He wants us to reason together. And you know, one of my pet peeves in life, and I work as a physician, is seeing people all the time, and I see it not only in my practice, but I see it in God's church, are people that are not willing to reason from cause to effect. Here's the cause, here's the effect. From point A to point Z, here's all the steps that got you to where you are today. And God is saying, let us reason together. Let's talk about cause and effect. What has caused you to start from point A to get all the way to the point that you were supposed to be God's remnant, proclaiming a message of mercy to a lost and dying world, and yet here you are behaving like Sodom and Gomorrah. Come now and let us reason together. And God is saying, listen, I love you so much that I am willing to take away your sin. Though they be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What an amazing God that despite the fact that his people have wandered off into a condition like Sodom and Gomorrah, God is saying, if you reason with me and if you come back to me, your sins will be forgiven. Verse 19, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And if the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it, it's a done deal. If you're willing and obedient, if you obey, if you keep the commandments, if you um, repent and follow the Lord and keep his commandments, you shall eat the good of the land. You will eat of the fruit of the tree of life. But if you refuse and rebel, oh God, that's not the truth. I like where I'm at. I like that I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I don't need to hear anything else about repentance. I don't need to hear a message of repentance. I have saving faith for this time, and God will save me as sinful and awful as I am. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You know, when God says, come now and let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It's like Joshua standing before the high priest in the book of Zechariah, where the angel is told to take away the filthy garments from off of Joshua and to clothe um, Joshua with a change of raiment, with a white garment, which represents the righteousness of Christ. And this represents justification by faith. You know what's wrong with Adventism today? We want that white garment, but we don't want the filthy rags taken off. And you know, our righteousness are as filthy rags, which in the original language, it means menstrual garments. And this is what God's people are saying today. We like these filthy garments, God. That's what makes me be me. When people cross the line, I've got to stand up for myself and show them a little bit of attitude to let them know that I, you can't ever do that to me again. Let me keep these filthy garments. These filthy garments define me for who I am. Now, what I want is the filthy garments and the righteousness of Christ. That's where God's people are today. There is a desire to have both, the filthy rags 
and the righteousness of Christ. And God is saying, no, I want to take the filthy garments from off of you. Yet Israel is saying, no, these filthy garments are who we are. And that's why God says, you are a nation of evildoers. You are corrupt. You are sick from head to toe. You need to have your sins taken away. God's not simply in the business of covering. He is in the business of covering us and cleansing us. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord of hosts. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as well. What an amazing God that after he tells us straight that he's still willing to offer forgiveness and the door of mercy is still open. God's mercy is long-suffering and yet, as Sister White tells us, because God is so long-suffering in his mercy, so many people presume upon his mercy and say, the Lord will neither do good or evil. He will just let things go on as they are and I'll be saved in his kingdom at last. And no, God is extending mercy mercy so that we will listen to these messages of warning that he sends to us through his prophets so that we will repent and set our lives in order to be prepared to meet the Holy One of Israel when he comes in the clouds. Because God is holy and the people that are ready to meet him when he comes will be a holy people. They're not going to have those filthy garments all over them. Those garments will have been removed long before Jesus comes. And so as we continue through the book of Isaiah, and that's just the first mention of the Holy One of Israel, out of 25 mentionings, when you come to Isaiah chapter 10, again, this concept of the Holy One of Israel is mentioned in verses 20 and 21 of Isaiah chapter 10. And here we read, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. And so what Isaiah is teaching us is that God is going to develop a people. The Holy One of Israel is developing a remnant who will be faithful at the end of time. God's people have wandered far from him. They have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet, out of all of that, there will be those who will reason with the Lord, who will be brought together to form the remnant of God, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus as they listen to the message of the Holy One of Israel. And in Isaiah 17, we again see this concept of the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. And he shall not look to the altars, the works of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. 
In that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bough, and an uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel, and there shall be desolation. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shall set it with strange slips. Here's what Isaiah is saying here. A day is coming when a man shall look to his maker, and they will, re they will realize this is the Holy One of Israel. And at that point, God's people will not be looking at their altars of false worship anymore. They're not going to be looking at the works of their hands and the groves and the images where they carried out all of their false worship of a God that really didn't exist. When they see the Holy One of Israel, they will realize that God is holy, that God is true, that His Word is true, and that when He says what He means in Scripture, He really means what He says. That when God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, He really means that. He really means that He doesn't want us to make work our God. You know, listen, if we're living here on this earth just to be in debt, to work hard, to pay off our mortgage, and we're keeping God out of our minds as we work so hard and run the rat race, that becomes our idol. The works of our hands. We have lost sight of our maker, the Holy One of Israel. And as we get caught in this rat race of working on the things that our own hands have made, just as the nations of Israel turned to the groves and the images. Since we're surrounded by people of the world that are also all focused on working hard and paying off a mortgage and getting set for the here and now and having a nice retirement and a good plan for this and that and whatever, we start to partake of the same entertainment and whatever else that the world is partaking of so that many times and in many places God's professed people are simply a modified version of the world rather than being utterly distinct and separate. And the Lord is saying a day is coming when a man shall look to his maker and his eye shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. And verse 6 tells us that time, it says, Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches. Thereof saith the Lord God of Israel. This is describing the time of shaking, when you'll have a few olives and a few berries that are left, and everyone else gets shaken out. The ones that are left are the ones who have respected the Holy One of Israel throughout. And continuing through Isaiah, as we look to the Holy One of Israel, in Isaiah chapter 29, verses 19 through 23, we see another promise here. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. 
For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Verse 22. Therefore thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hands, in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name, and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. A day is coming when the seed of Jacob, the seed of Abraham, the, whole, the seed from the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Jacob, when they see the children of Abraham, the children of Jacob, they will sanctify the name of God. The Holy One of Israel is looking to develop among the children of Abraham, those who have faith, a group of people who sanctify the name of God and who fear the God of Israel. That's the first angel's message. To sanctify the name of God is to make his name holy. It's to vindicate his name before the universe. And when God looks upon his people now, he is looking for a group of people who will have respect to the Holy One of Israel and who will sanctify his name, who will make his name holy for what his name really is so that his name will be vindicated throughout the universe, that this is the work of God's hands, that the children of Israel, as they obey God, that they have made God's name holy, that they have done what God says he would do through his people. Listen, when we follow the Lord, as important as our personal salvation may be, and it's of uttermost importance. God wants each one of us to be in the kingdom. Of greater importance as we are following God is that as we are followers of Jesus, that we would sanctify his name before those who look around us. What is the witness of our life at work? What is the witness of our life at home? And in fact, when, you, when we go back to Isaiah chapter 1, it talks about how um, in verse 2 of chapter 1, or actually verse 4, I'm sorry, it talks about how the children of the nation of Israel are corruptors. You know, following God and sanctifying his name, it starts in the home. How are we, we raising our families? How are we raising our children? Are we sanctifying God's name by the way we are raising our children in our homes? Are we teaching them to love the Lord? Are we seek, teaching them to fear God? Do they see the mother and father when there's conflict using Christ, uh, having a Christ-like spirit to reach resolution? Or are we like everybody around us yelling and screaming at each other? And then the children are saying, well, why would I want to follow a God that my parents talk about when they're yelling and screaming at each other all the time? And the, the message of Elijah in the end of time is that Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers and included in that will be the heart of the father and the mother to each other so that the families will be united and so that when God sees the work of his hands, he sees his people that in their homes are sanctifying the name of God. People in their work, they are sanctifying the name of God like Daniel in Babylon. He was surrounded by Babylonians all around him, but he wasn't a Babylonian. Amen. He was a servant of the living God. Amen. And in Isaiah chapter 31, just two chapters over, another warning. 
from the Holy One of Israel. Verse 1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. God's people living in the last days of earth's history, we have the Holy One of Israel to look to when troubles and trials come. Yet how many of us are looking to the wise men of this earth, to the counselors of this earth, and we go to the internet, and we go to the doctors, and look, I'm a doctor, so you know, whatever, but we go to the men of so-called wisdom, but we don't seek the Holy One of Israel. Woe to you who go down to Egypt for help, and you go to all the people of the earth first, and then maybe, if nobody on this earth can help you out, then maybe you come to God and ask him, God, how do I get out of this mess that I'm in? And the Holy One of Israel is saying, Woe to you, you should be coming to me. Amen. Verse 2, Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Verse 3, Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they shall all fail together. In other words, those who go to Egypt and the Egyptians themselves, when the Lord stretches out his hand, they are all going to come down. So why are you going to the men of Egypt? The Holy One of Israel is where our strength comes from. And I think I'm going to wrap up in Isaiah chapter 55. There's a few other places that the Holy One of Israel is mentioned. Isaiah chapter 43, specifically, um, God tells us in Isaiah chapter 43 that um, we are his, that he has called us by name, that um, he says, Thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. And that is for those who have respect to the Holy One of Israel. When you pass through the trial, that is difficult. When you pass through the fire, the Holy One of Israel will be with you. And in Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 5, this is what the Lord says to us. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. In other words, the nations of the earth are going to be coming to you because of the Holy One of Israel who is your God, and they are going to see the great things of the God of Israel in your midst. Listen, we're supposed to be the head and not the tail. People are supposed to be coming us to say, we hear that the God of Israel is in your midst, and we have come to see your God. And yet we're going to other churches and saying, we hear that you have worship services and worship styles that are drawing in the thousands. Tell us how your Babylonian methods are bringing so many people in. Why aren't they coming to us? They're supposed to be coming to us. We're not supposed to be going to them. But because we have forgotten who the Holy One of Israel is and we've become like Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah to find out their success. Verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him unto our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Listen, while the day of salvation is still available, the Lord will abundantly pardon. We can still come back to him. We can turn away from our wicked ways. If we forsake our way, he doesn't say, let the wicked come to me. He says, let the wicked, yes, come to me, but forsake his way. And I will abundantly pardon, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we need to learn to come to the Holy One of Israel to find out how his thoughts are so much higher than ours. We think we're so smart. We think with our education and degrees and this and that, that we can sometimes even outsmart God himself. And no, we can't. God is the Holy One of Israel. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than ours. We have no concept in our limited, finite human minds of who God is. So we figured out that one plus one equals two. Big deal. God is the creator of the universe. He is the Holy One of Israel. Verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God is saying, I am the Holy One of Israel. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts, and I will abundantly pardon. And just as water comes down from heaven and waters the earth and brings forth plants, a day is coming when the Holy Spirit will bring down rain in the form of the latter rain. And as the word goes forth from my mouth, that this rain will bring forth fruit, that will bring forth a harvest, that will prepare a people to stand in the day of God, because my word has said, so my word will not come back to me void. It will accomplish what I say it's going to accomplish. And listen, as Seventh-day Adventists, we are living in the time where God, the Holy One of Israel, wants to pour out the latter rain. Yes. He is looking for a group of people. Listen, in the book of Acts, we are told that God gives his spirit to those who obey him. And those people are not legalists, by the way. He is going to pour out his latter rain. He is the Holy One of Israel. And he is calling his sinful people, his Laodicean people, that he wants to vomit out of his mouth to return to him to be zealous and to repent and to come back to him so that he can pour out his spirit upon us so that he will have a group of people to stand in the day of God. Listen, just look at the things happening around us. You have Bishop Tony Palmer, who's friends with the Pope, coming to Kenneth Copeland, a leading charismatic evangelical preacher and they're saying things like diversity is divine but division is diabolical and don't let any doctrine get in the way of the body uniting these are the things that we have always talked about Jesus is coming soon now is not the time to be staying in Sodom and Gomorrah now is the time to be setting our hearts right with God 
to reason with God, to realize that our sins have been scarlet like Sodom and that we need them to be as white as snow. We need the righteousness of Christ so that we can proclaim the three angels' messages with power. Listen, if we don't have the righteousness of Christ, you can preach the theory of the three angels' messages till you're blue in the face and it's not going to accomplish anything. And the Lord is looking down upon his people today. And the Holy Spirit wants us to hear today that God is the Holy One of Israel. And it is time for us to come back to the Holy One of Israel and to realize that God is holy, that he can be provoked to anger, but that he is a merciful God, that he will abundantly pardon, and that it is possible for the wicked to forsake their way, for us to forsake our wicked ways, that the Lord can abundantly pardon and that he can pour out his Spirit upon us so that through our lives, the word that God has spoken will not come back to him void, but that it will be accomplished through our lives so that through us, the seed of Abraham, the children of Abraham, the children of Jacob, our lives through the grace and power of Jesus will sanctify or vindicate the name of God to the onlooking universe. Isn't that what you want to be part of? Aren't you tired of being a Laodicean lukewarm Seventh-day Adventist? just playing games with God, coming to church, drawing near to God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Aren't you tired of playing those kinds of games with God? Because God's tired of those games being played with him. And God is longing to have a children who will know their maker and who will live their lives knowing that there is a God in Israel and that he is preparing a people to stand on the day of God. Amen? Amen? At this time, Let's sing our closing hymn, How Great Thou Art. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.